until Marilyn and I went on an eight-country tour of Europe several years ago, I thought I was a world traveler when riding the Harley to a German settlement in Missouri, a Swiss colony in Georgia, and a French outpost in Quebec. The European destination we visited more than once was Herman, a small town along the Missouri River known for its German food and its vineyards. We always look forward to uh, eating in the stalls of a horse barn that had been converted into a restaurant. And I must confess, we did go on a tour of the winery. We went down into the cellar, learned how wine is made, and walked among the oak barrels. It was actually very interesting. Winery tours generally end with wine tasting, and we did sample the variety of grape juice offered. It was a good deal because they gave you a bigger glass if you only sampled the non-alcoholic juices. <laughs> anyway, the vineyard was fascinating. And as we've already seen, you can learn more from a vineyard than how wine is made. Jesus used a vineyard to teach us some very important truths about himself, about the Father, and about us. He taught us that he is the vine, God is the vine dresser, and we are the branches. The primary teaching of this analogy is that it is essential for the branches to abide in the vine. We, the branches, must stay connected to and draw life from the vine if we are to produce fruit. And if we don't, we are removed by the vine dresser. That idea is expanded upon in our text for today. In very graphic fashion, Jesus lets us know what will happen if we fail to abide in him and then holds out the blessings of doing so. He begins by making sure we understand what happens if you don't. We're in John 15. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. We've already discovered that as the vine dresser, God removes unproductive branches from the vine. If a branch isn't bearing fruit, it's of no value to the vine dresser, and he removes it. Now, this seems harsh, especially when you realize people are the branches. We don't like to think of a loving God removing people from his vineyard, cutting them off from the vine, but that is something he must do as the vine dresser. Now, this doesn't mean he's constantly walking through the vineyard with giant cutters in hand, just waiting for someone to slip up so he can cut them off. You know, grace is what allows us to become a part of the vine in the first place, and grace will keep us there 
if we demonstrate that we want to be there and are striving to become a productive part of the vine. If, however, it becomes obvious to God that we've become a sucker on the vine with no intention of bearing fruit, he will cut us off. Obviously, this is a drastic action, and it's not taken lightly. God is not an impulsive pruner who takes a quick look at a branch and whacks it off. You know, even if a branch is going through a tough time and isn't very productive at the moment, but still shows promise for the future, it will be kept and nurtured. Jesus made this clear in a parable found in Luke 13. And he began telling them this parable. A certain man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyards. And he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for for this year too, and until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit, next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. You know, God is a patient vine dresser, not wishing that any should perish. But if he knows there's no hope for a branch, he will sever its spiritual connection with the vine. And knowing there's no hope doesn't simply come from God's omniscience. It comes from noting hearts that have been hardened. Back in the 12th chapter of John, we discovered that it is possible for someone to so harden their heart against God that he will give up on them and harden it further, sealing their fate for all eternity. So yes, God does give up on some people. We can't because we don't know the true condition of anyone's heart, but God can and he must. As a vine dresser, he has the responsibility of keeping the entire vine healthy and productive, and that means some of the branches will have to go. If there's no hope for them, he will cut them off from the vine. He won't station an angel with a flaming sword at the door of the vineyard, the church, to keep them out as he did after kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden, but they will be cut off from the source of life. They will no longer be in a saving relationship with Christ. And if you are cut off from Christ, you will dry up spiritually. You may still look religious, and you may still be a part of a physical church, but you will be spiritually dead. Now again, I'm not talking about a dry spell, a temporary period of dormancy. I'm talking about spiritual death. And believe it or not, some people in the church are spiritually dead. They've been cut off from the vine, severed by the vine dresser. Fortunately, however, some may only appear to be dead. 
They may be what was diagnosed in the Princess Bride as mostly dead, (laughs) but still connected to the vine. You know, we can't tell the difference between all dead and mostly dead, but God can, and so can the branch itself. If you still have the desire to abide in Christ, you're not dead. But if you allow yourself to go dormant for too long, you will lose that desire. And the vine dresser may have to act. If he does, you're deadwood. Outwardly, you appear to be alive, but inside, you're dead. And sadly, no doubt, there is deadwood in the church. That's why you shouldn't be surprised to find hypocrites in it. In another analogy, Jesus called them tares, noxious weeds, and he made clear that they would be found in the church until the final day. He also made clear that it's not our job to pull out the tares or to toss out the deadwood. He'll take care of that on Judgment Day when dead branches, like tares, will be gathered for destruction. Jesus pictured it this way in Matthew 13. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing That's very similar to the picture we have here in John. Branches that refuse to abide in the vine will be cut off by the vine dresser. They will then dry up and become nothing more than dead wood, littering littering the floor of the vineyard. Eventually, they will be gathered by the angels and cast into hell. Where, as Jesus said in Mark 9, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That is what will happen if we don't abide in Christ. And it's not a pretty picture. So let's go on to a much better picture. What will happen if we do? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. 
if we abide in Christ and his word abides in us, we will be blessed in at least five ways, beginning in our prayer life. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. We can ask for whatever we wish, and it will be done for us. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus is not promising to be our genie in a bottle. The promise is conditioned by an if. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. If we are abiding in Christ, we will only want what he wants. We'll be so in tune with him that what he wants is what we will ask for. It'll be what we want. That means if you are not getting what you pray for, there may be a problem in your relationship with Christ. You're not abiding in him. Or his word is not abiding in you. Now, that does not mean if you get closer to him, he'll give you whatever you want. It means if you'll get closer to him, you'll only want what he wants. And you will trust him enough to say, not my will, thine be done. That's the key to an effective prayer life. And it is a life of prayer. It's not resignation to just letting God do whatever he wants. If you become one with someone, you want what they want, and you will actively seek after it. That's what our prayer life will become if we abide in Christ. And if we do, we will be blessed with a fruitful life. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, as we noted last week, the fruit we are to bear is not converts. It's the fruit of the Spirit. God will be glorified as the fruit of the Spirit develop in our life, as a spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control becomes evident. If we are abiding in Christ, we will become more loving and more joyful. We will be more at peace and more patient when things go wrong. Our kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness will become more obvious. And we will appear to be more self-controlled because the Spirit will be in control. And like a gardener who takes pride in his garden, 
God will be glorified if we bear fruit. People will see him reflected in our life as we become more and more like his son. And as we become like him, even one with him, we will know the love that exists between the Father and the Son. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. There is a special love that exists between a father and a son. And it's usually an exclusive relationship. If we abide in Christ, however... We will not only come to know of the love that exists between the Father and the Son, we will come to experience that love ourselves. You know, the world we live in can be a very unloving place, and even we, at times, can feel unloved. If that happens, draw nearer to Christ. And let the love that flows between the Father and Son flow into and through you. If you abide in Christ, you'll experience a love that goes beyond any you could ever long for. The love the Father has for his Son. Then Jesus says, if we abide in him... We will keep his commandments, and believe it or not, that too is a blessing. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The source of legitimate guilt and shame is a failure to obey. If we abide in Christ, however we will be able to keep his commandments. And if we keep his commandments, we will be free of guilt and shame. That gives us the freedom to openly come into his presence and to enjoy the blessing of sweet fellowship with our Lord. And that will obviously give us great joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. If we do what Christ has said, his joy will be in us. A joy that transcends circumstances. Jesus was just hours from the cross when he spoke of joy. No doubt his joy was the joy of being one with his father, knowing he was doing the father's will and knowing how things would end. We too can have joy, his joy, when facing trials. Because we too can become one with the father. We too can know that we are doing the father's will. We, too, know how things are going to end. We may not always feel like smiling, but we can have joy in all circumstances if we are abiding in Christ. If we abide in him, we share his joy. 
because we share his victory. We know how things are going to end, and that gives us joy unspeakable and full of glory. Nothing can give us more joy. Because when his joy is in us, our joy is made full. Indeed, we will be blessed if we abide in Christ. If we abide in him, we will have an effective prayer life. Our lives will be fruitful. We will know the love of our Heavenly Father. We will be free of guilt and shame, and our joy will be made full. To abide in Christ, however, we must be holy as He is holy. And it takes time to be holy. If we would be holy, we must speak off with our Lord and feed on his word. If we would be holy, set apart from the world, we must make friends with God's children. If we would be holy, we must live spirit-filled, spirit-directed lives. If we don't live holy fruitful lives, the vine dresser will have to cut us off from the vine. Don't let that happen to you. 